As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne and coming up today we'll rake over that Brighton game and talk to some fide Geordie royalty. Uh, in the meantime, I'm joined by the Athletics' George Coggan and Jacob Whitehead. How are we today, chaps? George, you alright? Uh, I would say I'm I'm at about 8%. I'm sort of critical battery. 8%? Yeah. It's quite high for you, that, isn't no, it? No, I'm usually... I, I kind of aim for about 26%, and that's that usually does me. But no, I did I did the big half in London on, on Sunday, and I'm, it was the worst half marathon I've ever done. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I, I'm very much hoping that our special guest today might give me a bit of a bit of a mental boost before the uh, before the Great North Run this weekend. Jacob and I uh, are both running it, and we're doing it for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. So, yeah, need need to find a way to to get better. It was a bit of a soul destroying couple of days, I have to say. What with Brighton as well. Oh dear. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Jacob, how are you? Are you all right? I'm much better, thanks, yeah. I'm uh, hoping that George is on kind of, you know when you're on low battery mode on your iPhone and it kind of acts a bit slower, George will be a bit less mean. I mean, hopefully he will, seeing as Everton have now closed the gap <laughs> on Newcastle after this weekend, but yeah, I live in hope. George is essentially prioritising vital systems at this point, yeah. isn't he? He's able to blink and talk and that's about I, it and not much else going on. I tell you what, I should be in better form because I found myself embracing the misery again on Saturday night. It was like, oh, oh yes. here are those adjectives I've not used for a while. Disappoint, oh, ooh, disappointing, dreadful, verging on towards crisis. I'm joking. Um, but uh, But yeah, that little bit of misery... It was like pulling on a comfortable dressing gown. Absolutely, like a lovely old cardigan that you haven't had on for a while. And finding a fiver in the pocket. That's right. How about you, Taylor? How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, yeah. I'm looking forward to this weekend as well. I'm uh, I'm going to be doing a little bit of music, live music, down at the finish at the Great North Run as well. So I'm down and round and about that area as well. So I might see you cry as you come past. Well, you definitely will, yeah. But if you're listening to my music, that's probably always <laughs> a good chance of that happening anyway. Well, you played a Pod in the Time theme song as George crosses the line. I feel like that's that's all we play. Yeah. That's all I play for an hour and a half. No, that's the snooker. Hang on, that's wrong. Uh, anyway...
let's talk about that Brighton game, chaps. I'm afraid we have to at some point. Um, Brighton are good, aren't they? Evan Ferguson's very good as well, George, isn't he? He's, uh, he's is he going to get a hat trick for that? I don't know if he is or not. Did he get did he get the last one taken off him? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. So he did not, and he was very angry at suggestion. Hmm. I think it's gone might have gone down as an own goal. Yeah, it was a big deflection, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, we know Brighton are a good team. I mean, extraordinary this extraordinary model they have, where they can lose their manager and coaches, they can lose their best players for an incredible amount of money, and they find some way of re-energising and having this kind of great great style yeah we we know they're a good team but Newcastle are supposed to be a good team as well aren't they and um, it wasn't a good performance I mean it's early days it's been a very tough start to the season we knew it was going to be and so I think it's important that we you know remember that and don't overreact to it but it's just not Newcastle that we know at the moment and I thought they were good for four minutes um, and they started, you know, they were pressing Brighton right up the pitch. They they put the goalkeeper under pressure every time he had the ball, and they had those two big chances. But then from there, it just disintegrated. Yeah, I, I was having to talk to somebody about this the other day, and, I, and we said it's almost as if if Newcastle don't score in that first five or ten minutes, we kind of, you know, we we almost punch ourselves out trying too hard in the first 10, 15 minutes, and then we're not sure what to do after that. Um, Jacob, overall, though, Newcastle weren't very good at all, were they? What What is it that's going on? Is it a confidence thing? Is it loss of form, or is there something else here? I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing. Like, I didn't see a team who necessarily actually had a hangover from the Liverpool game. I saw a team who were... And I'd characterise this season as been four different performances, right? There's a really good performance against Villa on the opening day. Against Man City, I think they were out-tacticked. Against Liverpool, I think they were out-fought with an F. And against Brighton, they're both out-tacticked and out-fought, um, which was a concerning thing. It felt at times like they're getting through the midfield far too easily. I'm sure we'll discuss this in a lot more detail and that a lot of problems stemmed from that. I'm always, I always try to be quite mindful of whether this is a case of Newcastle being bad of the opposition being good or vice versa if it's a good result. And I do genuinely think this is one where, yes, Brighton were good, but Newcastle also, this is one of the poorest performances under Howe. And despite all the improvements in the last 18 months under him, I think it should still be able to say that. I agree. I, I think that's important. I think it's you know it's always important to look for perspective. It's always important to look at context. Every team has a context. Every match has a context. That those things are very important. And I do, I agree with you. I think I think criticism is 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 justified after a, after a match like that, a result like that, and a performance like that. I do think they look really brittle on Saturday. And I think one of the strengths of the team has been the way it's been able to respond when it's had kind of bad moments. Of course, you look at the Liverpool game last season at Anfield that was devastating to lose in the way they did but it kind of really fired them up I thought right at the start of the game it it felt like perhaps this was going to be the same thing that they played you know they played with real aggression and anger but it then just dissipated so quickly I think that did it did feel like confidence to me I do think that you know something that I've been saying from the very start is that it's not felt like things are running for Newcastle in the same way that it did for them last season. That's not a scientific observation, but it is, it's that thing where the big moments kind of did go for them most of the time and now they're not. But it looks so brittle against Brighton and we're not, we're not used to that, you know, because they're, they're such a resilient team. They're such a tough team. They're such an aggressive team, but it wasn't actually until the substitutes came on, I thought, and this time, 
I'm not saying it worked because Newcastle then immediately conceded a second, but I thought those substitutes, Wilson in particular, did give them a bit of anger and aggression and impetus again. And it felt like the momentum was going towards back towards them. But it, you know, the, then they concede. So that's what I kind of mean about the things not falling for them. But no, I, I, I think that confidence, I think the confidence part of it feels like a big thing. They haven't had many tests like this and certainly not for the last year and a bit. I found myself briefly over the weekend sort of trying to look for some hope because I think there's plenty there. Um, And I was thinking about last year's loss at Villa, which was similarly chastening. I think it's 3-0 then, if I remember right. And Newcastle, after that, kind of got onto a really good round of form. And last season, yes, they did brilliantly, but they're also quite a streaky team. Like, they went on a run of, you know, they go on a run of eight or nine wins and then have a few losses or a few draws in a row and then back to wins. Yeah. I mean, you've just got to hope that it's one of those troughs. I mean, me and George will do a piece in the week kind of looking at the realities of the situation, kind of what's what what's fact and what's fiction about their current situation. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the midfield does seem to be the main thing. I was just wondering what George made of it, seeing it in person, because when I was uh, watching it at City, I thought they actually looked pretty connected defensively. Uh, even if they didn't do much in attack, but that that looked quite different against Brighton. So I, again, I wasn't at City, but watching like the telly, it just looked to me like, as you said, you know, the tactical side. City had more men in midfield when they had the ball, and it just looked, you know, it looked like that. That New, uh, Newcastle looked outnumbered against City, and of course, you know, when somebody like Phil Foden plays like that, then it, it's very difficult to deal with that. the The alarming thing about Brighton, I thought, was that they were just able to get through midfield and it felt like there were yeah. huge holes. So, I'm, you know, you say we're going to write this piece about sort of the, the myth and reality so far this season. I'm interested to see what the kind of stats show and the data shows, but it just looked like Brighton got through it so easily. It was like there were massive holes there. Tonali, I think, has been, by and large, really, really good. You can see his quality since he's come into the team. Is he tracking back in the same way? Is he offering that defensive side of it? Does the link up with Bruno work? That's interesting. And, you know, we know Jalinton is a, is a wonderful player. He's arguably the first name on the team sheet. But again, it's not linking to me in the same way as it did last season when most of the time you had uh, Sean Longstaff there full of running, full of energy and, you know, that aggressive side of the game. I'm not saying that this is like a you know, uh, a, a crisis point. The question being asked by, by Oli, our producer, is Jalinton fully fit? No, I don't think he is. But it's not quite gelling in the same way. I mean, Newcastle are such a formidable unit and they were such a formidable unit in defence. The back five and that midfield three was so solid yeah. and it looks, it's the opposite of solid at the minute. Yeah, that that, that three is coming in for a bit of criticism, isn't it? And it, it, is it the system? Is it the way the players are set up? Is it the personnel that needs to change? Or Jacob, do you think it just maybe needs a bit more time? Because obviously there is a new recruit in there. It might take a little bit of time for it all to bed together. Well, I'm going to have to own up to an error here, but hopefully it will illustrate this well. So at half time, I had a look at the average positions of, of the Newcastle team. And I saw that on the right-hand side, Sanjo Tonali was listed as being way ahead of Miguel Almiron. And I tweeted it out yeah, and, I I said, well. and I said, oh, ignore those two. I think that's going to be a labelling error. But look at Fabian Scher and build-up because he was having to get really far forward because the midfielder under so much pressure. It turns out that 
it wasn't a labelling error. Tonali really was that far forward. Of course, we know that Eddie Howe's trying to bring in this Bruno swapping with Tonali. It's kind of quite an old school pulley system in a way. But with the gap being that large that Tonali's effectively a right winger, it's just asking so much of both of them to swap with each other and you lead to these massive passing lanes. Uh, which Brighton could just find at will. Like they've got some really high quality ball players, centre backs who can play through the lines at ease. Um, Van Hecker, who really struggled at St James's Park last season, was brilliant at playing those balls through the line through midfield. At the same time, it's four games in to a new midfield, and you're, when you're trying to do stuff ambitiously, it kind of raises the stakes on both ends. It raises the ceilings, but it also lowers the floor. Yeah. It's going to take time. They're going to have to get used to it. I know the international break, some of these players are away, but you can trust that Jason Tindall. And Eddie Howe going to be locked in a bunker for two weeks trying to work out solutions? Yeah, I, I totally get that. And, you know, again, for the for the record, absolutely have faith in them to do it. I mean, so, but, you know, something else, and again, maybe we'll come on to talk about this a bit later, when we talk about the sort of the closing of the transfer window. One of the interesting things is actually how little Newcastle have changed so far. And so, yeah, they brought in Tonali. That is a big, it's a big difference, but it's one player. I mean... You know, I know Matt Target played at left back uh, at Brighton, but that's not much of a you know that's not much of a change. We're used to seeing him play there. That the sort of concerning thing for me, in some ways, is that a they should be better um, with the personnel that they have, but also have they progressed enough? And we know that the squad is a lot is a lot deeper, and that's great. But is is that anything to do with it? And again, I think that's a question worth asking. And Jacob as well, even Anthony Gordon as well, who's been you know pretty terrific at the start of the season. He had a great game against Liverpool. Uh, even he misfired a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, oh, I feel like my role in this show is to be Anthony Gordon's number one apologist. Um, <laughs> yes, he missed that big chance at the back post, but I actually, in the first half especially, I thought he was really good. Last, last week we saw kind of a silky side of his game against Liverpool. I mean, obviously, Newcastle lost the game, so it's a, it's a performance which will disappear. Like when Neymar scored that winner, for Brazil in the World Cup, so it seemed. His legacy-defining goal, which then they went and lost, disappeared. Same with Gordon's performance against Liverpool. But he actually tracked back really well doing the dirty stuff. Um, I think in the first half hour, he had sort of three or four retrievals, um, which I was really impressed with. I mean, he, he, he struggled to link up like everyone. And yes, missed a big chance, but so did Isaac. Yeah. I can forgive him. Uh, yeah, and we mentioned that decent start as well. Let's uh, let's have a little uh, listen to Eddie Howe here. George asked him uh, if Newcastle were affected by that Liverpool result. Yeah, I don't think initially. I think if we'd have started really badly, you'd probably say yes, but I saw a reaction, a positive reaction early in the game, and I thought we were in a really good place. If one of those chances goes in, it might be a totally different game, but as always, the game hinges on moments, and the last two games, we've just been on the wrong end of it. We've had presentable chances, we haven't taken them, and we've contributed to our own downfall with some of the goals we've conceded. So, as always, the power is in our hands to change it, and that's what we have to try and do. Eddie Howe himself as well, George, a few unhinged comments on social media aside, he's not under any real pressure at the moment, is he? Well, he shouldn't be, should he? I mean, no, and this is, not. you know, Newcastle are a victim of their own success. I mean, and I don't mean that in a in a sort of dramatic way. The reason we're getting irritated about this run of form and three, you know, three defeats in a row is never, is never nice. It didn't happen at all last season in the league is because they set such high standards and, you know, because he's done such an incredible job. I sort of wrote about the match at the weekend and sort of said this doesn't feel like Newcastle. But at the same time, this Newcastle 
is in his image. They've spent a huge amount of money since the takeover. We know that. But it's about him. It's about his coaching. It's about the way he's made these uh, these players rise with the club. And yeah, he's he's worked a miracle. And, you know, for goodness sake, he should be given as much support and encouragement during a difficult moment like this as he's given to the players, as he's given to the rest of the club. We owe him such a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, I... I I also wrote about the about the window, sort of inside the transfer window, and spoke to people at the top of the club about that. And you know, they the conversation on Friday it was you know we feel closer than ever. We've travelled and grown so much together. We're all delighted with Eddie. They're in it together, and um, yeah, he absolutely deserves. I don't mean in terms of like votes of confidence or anything, you know, any nonsense like that. It's just that you know this is a difficult moment. Newcastle have been through so many difficult moments since he came in. He deserves all the encouragement and support back, and I know he'll get it. I know he'll get, you know the next time, next time Newcastle play, he'll he'll get a tremendous tremendous response. I'm sure. There's a quote from the top of the club last year, which the Athletic reported, talking about how Newcastle wants, in an ideal world, how to be their Sir Alex Ferguson, and we all know how Sir Alex Ferguson's reign started at Manchester United. There was kind of four or five years of. Struggling, so you'd hope with that in mind and results which Howe's already achieved, there really is a long leash. Like, that's the yeah, that was that was on the record. That was on the record, Jacob, and it was Murdad and it was Amanda, and you know they 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 said that. You know, I think people outside of the club might have kind of found that funny, but that is what they want, and those people have spent a lot of time in the past two or three weeks trying to make sure that everybody's still together, nurturing that that feeling of togetherness and spirit that has been absolutely fundamental to what the team and the club have done so far and they'll be spending the next couple of weeks just trying their best to uh, you know to ensure that he has everything everything he needs it's certainly not a crisis it kind of feels like it because everything has been so good and we're not used to seeing Newcastle play like that I say in the piece that I wrote this weekend that just as we've got used to the idea of Newcastle winning they've stopped win- they've stopped winning and so it like it hurts but no, they'll he'll get it right, and they'll get it right. I'm I'm sure of it. Absolutely, and uh, views may differ on this one. Uh, but there was some moaning from fans of other clubs, I must say, about our away contingent singing and dancing at the end of the game, even oh, though they were uh, watching their team get rattled three one. Um, that's just a healthy attitude of life, though, George, isn't it? Surely, well, I thought that was brilliant well, seeing those lads and lasses having a good time. Moaning, but what saying? What saying? What moaning? Saying what? Why are Newcastle fans singing and dancing when their team's getting their arse handed? Well, them? because. Firstly, that spirit and that defiance has been a huge part of uh, of our identity. It has been for years and years and years. For a long time, there's been a need to have that defiance because we've had nothing good going for us. The team has had nothing good going for it, and so there's been that um, you know there's been that feeling of support, come what may, and that's part of it. And you know, if if you go to away games, if you go to away games, you sing and you chant and when things go against you I mean I was at Man City for the 5-0 game done it for the for both the last two but the 5-0 as the goals went in I was there with my brother as the goals went in they got louder and louder and louder and you know my brother was saying he lives in America he was like saying how on earth can I explain this to people back home that you know our fans are getting louder and louder and better when the goals go in against us. And so it's part of that. Also, they were singing about the Champions League. They sang the Champions League song for 20 minutes at the end. And it was just that reminder of where the club have got to. And it was, it was brilliant. And at the end, 
the team, as always, went across to them, stood in front of them. They kept singing the Champions League song. Uh, you know, Eddie Howe afterwards says it was very difficult to go over there, you know, when they've supported them so much. But if people are moaning about stuff like, what, is it better, is it, you a better fan if you complain at the end of a match and have, oh, have a go at your players and, and, and leave bullshit. early? It's, it's bullshit. total bullshit. Yeah. You, There's no win in this situation really, is there? I mean, if, if fans leave five minutes early, you're going to get slated. If you sing too much, you get slated. Uh, I remember, George, you might have been at this game in your former life, but I remember in the 2016 Euros, Ireland were getting battered by Spain in their final match and sang Fields of Athenor for 20 minutes. Yeah, I was there. And it was talked about as one of the most powerful sporting moments of the year, and I agree. And to sort of have that knocked is is quite startling. Yeah, it's pathetic. I was I was there for that game, funnily enough, and it was like, okay, fine, we might, you know, we might, yeah, that idea, we might lose on the pitch, but we won't lose off the pitch, and we'll support you ever more. That sense of it. That's what it's all about. And, I mean, the other thing to say, this is a slightly, um, you know, silly point, but those people who travelled to Brighton, who had to brave a train strike, by the way, having done it myself, I know how hard it was to get there, and I'm being paid to be there. It was horrific. They deserve to have fun. You know, they deserve to have to make that a joyful, participatory experience. And if the football didn't provide the fun, then they'll provide it for themselves and they'll support their team beautiful you know the fact that it was the champions league stuff is another part of it because a lot of those people would have spent that very difficult journey trying desperately to book travel for those amazing champions league trips we've got coming out we were doing the same weren't we on on saturday morning yeah. you know try all of us trying to sort of get there and, yeah. and it, that song is a reminder of absolutely how far newcastle have come in the last two years so no they can fuck <laughs> What sort of time is half past seven a.m. on a Saturday morning to release the Champions League fixtures? Um, and then, boy, you said that, that was, you, you said that, that was a silly point. I didn't think it was. I've got a truly silly point, which is you said earlier that defiance has been a large part of Newcastle's identity and singing's a part of that. But I'm just kind of interested how, despite defiance being a massive part of your personality, George, why we haven't seen more singing from you is kind of after Great North Run on Sunday. Might we get you into Cozy Joe's? Um, I did go there after a certain. Sam Fender gig where I may or may not have been spotted in the boardroom and um, you know I did belt out a few I did belt out a few numbers I don't think Taylor's got anything to worry about however what numbers Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi that was my choice never heard of either preferably dead I think preferably dead um, <laughs> well get yourself down the seafront George we'll get you up we'll get you up with a band yeah right okay Let's move on, chaps. Uh, so get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to subscribe to The Athletic and pay just $1 or £1 a month, depending on where you are located, for your first 12 months. We'll be back in just a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We've had some great footballers on this show over the years and some brilliant Geordies, but it's fair to say our guest today is and will forever be the most influential North East sporting figure we'll ever be lucky enough to host for a chat. Not satisfied with a world-class athletics career which saw him hold middle-distance world records and win six major championship medals, including gold in the 5,000 metres at the 1974 European Championships, he went on to hugely successful ventures in business and broadcasting. And on top of all that, he founded the world's largest half marathon, the Great North Run. So it's a massive pot on the time. Welcome to Sir Brendan Foster. Hello, Sir Brendan. How are you doing? I'm not as good as you, but I'm not too bad. <laughs> good stuff. Sir Brendan, 43 years now of the Great North Run, and it's as healthy as ever, isn't it? Well, this year is the biggest we've ever had. We've had 60,000 entries for the, the race on Sunday. But almost uh, almost a uh, um, highlight for me is that we've got 10,000 kids on the Saturday Juniors and minis running on the quayside on Saturday, which means there'll be about fifteen thousand people because the adult lots of adults run with the kids. Yes. So we'll have a huge um, run on the Saturday, and um, and then the great ones run on the Sunday. So yeah. Brilliant stuff. And as you said, the participation numbers are absolutely astronomical now, aren't they? And you've had some of the cream of world athletics race along the time over the years. But the question I ask you, and this is a serious one, is George Colton the most emotional runner to ever take part? George is a great contributor to the Great Nose Run. <laughs> He's an even bigger contributor to the, the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. Yeah, Meeting George on the day of the Great Nose Run and even speaking to him in the few days in advance, Warms my heart. I have to be honest, that's very kind from Sir Brendan. He's a very loyal man. I've ended up in his arms at the end of too many Great North Runs, really, just crying my eyes out. But <laughs> it is the best day of the year. And, you know, the way I kind of describe your life is that this extraordinary life of many lives, you've done so many things. You're my hero, and oh, no. I'm not ashamed to admit that. You're the reason that we run. We run because you ran. You know, you're the person who set this incredible, incredible institution up now. And um, yeah, and it's become the biggest day of, you know, not just mass participation, but of kind of raising charity in the in the region. Huge day for that. And I'm honoured to be part of the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. And one of the reasons we wanted to get you on, not just because you're a huge Newcastle fan and because of the Great North Run, but you've played a big role too in something we're trying to do this year, which is called Bobby's Team. And uh, it was your idea. I'm, I hope I don't embarrass you by saying that, but um, getting together a group of football journalists, journalists to run as a football team, but in Sir Bobby's memory and uh, it's a very special thing can't wait to do it we had a go last year which was great fun and yeah so just really wanted to thank you for that and sort of well I mean why what what was it that sort of sparked that in your imagination do you think well, uh, well uh, first of all I think I knew Bobby and I knew him well and I knew him I knew him when he you know when he wasn't when he was 
overseas. I've met him when he's the England manager. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know I know Bobby was a footballer, but he was a, a, an athletic footballer in his time. And he used to he used to believe in training. And there was a period when the f- footballers' training wasn't a big thing to them. But I knew I know Bobby was was important on that. That was important to him. And I know Bobby would have run the Great North Run if he'd been a younger man when it when it hit its highlight. So so I always feel, felt I liked Bobby. I really liked Bobby. And he made me laugh and he made me smile. And and he loved he loved his football. And he was honest about it, which you know, I remember talking to him one day at the time Craig Bellamy was playing for Newcastle. And Craig was causing all kinds of problems off, off you know, and he was in the press and all this kind of stuff. And I said to Bobby, what about what about Craig Bellamy? He said, I'll tell you what, he's a bit of a nuisance. In fact, he's a huge nuisance during the week. He said, but for me, at three o'clock on a Saturday, he's worth worth all the nuisance points that he creates during the week because he delivers 100% on a Saturday. And I think Bobby had a real proper feel for football as a sport, you know, because football isn't a sport anymore. It's just, it's entertainment. And at the, at the core of it is a sport. But Bobby always knew that the core of football, the sport of football, the preparation for football, the playing of the games in football matches was much more important than the surround sound. Well, the surround sound for football now is like is like <laughs> comparative is like a nuclear explosion. But in the middle of it is the game of football, and there's you know young athletes doing the best they can, preparing as best they can. And Bobby, I always felt was much more interested and keen on the athletic performance of footballers, the football performance of footballers, than in the surround sound. And I think, I think you might have found it found it getting more difficult over the over the last few years. Yeah. But I do think he was a he was a football man, and he was a football sport man. And football is a sport, which occasionally some of the people who run it need to be reminded of. <laughs> and of course, his foundation is a is a kind of incredible incredible legacy. That will, you know, that lasts on and is doing doing incredible work. And Jacob, Jacob and I are both running as part of Bobby's team uh, this year. So you know, really excited and wanted to say thank you for your for your kind of great contribution to that. I mean, we're talking to you at the start of Great North Run Week. You look okay. You don't look too stressed. Are you full of adrenaline or are you just kind of blasé to it now? Well, no, no, never blasé because you can't be blasé because. This year's the, the delivery of this year's event is is crucial to the future of the event. So the future of the event is hugely important. It needs to be there in a hundred years' time, and it needs to be nurtured every year. It needs to be thought about every year. It needs to be delivered better and better every year. It's competing on a world stage now, and it's got you know it punches above its weight, which is its biggest. You know it it sits alongside and bigger than. You know, New York Marathon, Chicago Marathon, Tokyo Marathon, London Marathon, Boston Marathon. It sits alongside those those guys. And funnily enough, the guy from Boston said to me, "I'm really envious of of, of, of your event. You've got a you've got a theme tune played by one of the greatest rock stars of all time, um, <laughs> local hero." He said, "We've we've got the Boston Marathon, but we've never had a we haven't never had a theme tune written by written by it." One of the greatest rock stars. And I know Mark Knopfler doesn't think of himself as a rock star, but he reaches around the world. So yeah, it 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 it's got. We we have to work harder. We have to be better than others. We have to try harder than. We have to keep the attention on it 
we've got a great team, uh, and I do less and less, and they do more and more. Um, and I can't have to suggest them that they do more and more. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's 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 actually you know somebody asked me somebody asked me yesterday about Mo Farah and Mo's running his last race ever in the Great North Run, which is a huge testimony to the event. But he rang me on Boxing Day and he said, "I'm going to finish this year." This year, he said, um, "I want to run my last race in the Great North Run." And I said, well, absolutely thrilled, Mo. I said, and the only thing I can say to you is you'll get a huge send-off. We'll do our best to make it a memorable one for you. And, and, and you know, when I, when I was asked the other day about it, Mo's coming there, and the, we're going to do a few things, a few stunts and a few, a few nice things for him, which already done a few. Um, I'm going to present him with a Greg's card. You know, so you can go to Greg's any time. Anytime you want. Very envious of that, by the way. <laughs> Very envious. <laughs> we, we've done a little... A little. Uh, I went across to Fontrome last week to see him, training, and did an interview with him for the BBC. We've got a programme going on BBC One on Saturday, 12.30, straight after Football Focus, which is called Mo's Last Mile. And basically, it was my conversation with Mo about the journey that he's been on to get to the last mile. But the point is, I said to him, you'll get a farewell you'll never forget. But you know what? That farewell will come from the people, not from me, not from the organising team. It'll come from, and the Great North Runs come from the people. The Great North Run was an idea of a run down the road from Newcastle to South Shields. And, you know, if and there were, the first one was the biggest event in, in Britain at the time, and it's been biggest ever since. But that's not because we organise it well. We do organise it well. But it's because people want to do it. People want to take part in it. And like I said, Mo Farah's farewell, the memorable part of it will be the bit that the public provide to Mo, saying, thanks, Mo, you've been, you've been you know, and, and it's a historic moment. And, and in our sport, it's very difficult because Mo is, and I would argue with anyone, you, you, can, you can have the argument now if you want, but he's the greatest sportsman or woman Britain's ever had. We've never had anybody winning 10, six world championships and four Olympic gold medals. And we've had great ones before, but they won two medals, one medal, one Olympic gold, two Olympic golds. Nobody's ever done what he's done. And he's a modest young man. He's been an unbelievable athlete. Uh, we'll never say he's like again. And so him stepping off the stage is a historic moment for us, but it's also for the, for the for, for sport. And somebody will ring up and say, oh, that's a load of rubbish. You know, he... This bloke won six gold medals in the cycling event, and this one won loads of gold medals in the, in the rowing event. And, I, and I'll just say, look at the map of the world. How many of those countries are doing those things compared with every country in the world's got a runner? Every country in the world's got somebody who runs 100 metres or 10,000 metres. So, so we're privileged to have Mo Farah, the greatest sportsman or woman Britain's ever had, stepping off the stage at his choice um, on Sunday. His ability to deal with pressures just so um, unparalleled really with British athletes. Um, you spoke earlier, Sir Brendan, about Sir Bobby being a football man, but understand you're also a bit of a football man yourself, a massive Newcastle supporter. Uh, talk about your history of the club, kind of what, is, what were your first memories of uh, going to see them, first matches, that sort of thing. Yeah, do, I, do you want me to tell you about the number of years I've supported them and how many times I've um, been around to live, 
stand next to them when they've lifted trophies. Is that the <laughs> Please do. Well, my first game I ever saw was Newcastle against Bolton Wanderers in 1955 when the formula was <laughs> such that anybody went to that last game before the cup final got a ticket that went in the hat to be drawn out for a, to, a voucher to be put in the hat, drawn out for a cup final ticket. So my dad took me and my brother. I was seven, he was five. And he always reminds me, I went to my first match when I was younger than you, which has always been a point of contention. But we, my dad got three vouchers after the Bolton Wanderers match that went into the hat and out came one ticket. So my dad went to Wembley and, and we, we watched the match on the telly at my auntie's, my auntie's house. And <laughs> the funny thing was, we were convinced we saw my dad because he had a black and white scarf on and we looked into the crowd, you know, the black and white shots. Oh, there's Dad, look, can you see? <laughs> the thing was, I said to my brother that day, we were playing football on the street. My uncle said, right, you can come in now and watch the match, which we did. And that was 55. And I said to my brother, I'll tell you what, next time we're at Wembley, we'll all go. Me and you, my other brother, family, friends, whatever. And it was 1974, which is nearly 20 years later. And in 73... The FA decided to have a, a, a running race on the track, on the pitch, before the final. And I was the world record holder at the time, so they rang up and said, will you come to Wembley and run on the pitch in the 3,000-meter race before the before the final, Sunderland against Leeds? I said, no, thanks, no. I said, uh, I'm not coming to Wembley. It'd be the warm-up act for Sunderland in the cup. <laughs> so I didn't go. And then the next year, Newcastle got to the final. And the FA, it worked the previous year, so they rang up and said, will you come and run on the pitch? And this year I said, yeah, well, the deal is I need a dozen tickets and I'll come and run. <laughs> so I went and ran and I ran in a black and white shirt and uh, won the race before the cup final. But I had my brother and my other brother and my friends and my dad all at the match. And uh, <laughs> Martin McDonald had wound up the, the Liverpool team by his comments in the press the day before. And we got back at 3-0. It was Kevin Keegan who's... Toshak Keegan. And I, I said to David Coleman, actually, who's a great mate of mine, I said to David, I said, um, what was all that about this Toshak Keegan 1-0? He said, well, at the time, I used to get pilloried in the press for talking too much. So he said, I got my microphone, and he said, I was commentating, and the ball came across, and Toshak headed it down, and Keegan was shot and scored. And he said, I just went, Toshak Keegan 1-0. Put the microphone down, <laughs> and he said, "Oh, you got So it was, it was. Um, <laughs> and funnily enough, one night he would never, ever, he never, ever would do. Uh, but I knew him really well. We had a couple of drinks one night, and I said to him, "I said to him, uh, come on, David, do the, do the Newcastle Liverpool game again." And he goes, "You know, um, highway on the outside, ball comes across, Toshak Keegan one nil." And he's in the bar, but he's painting like that. <laughs> and so, Brennan, you, you've seen Newcastle United's ups and downs over nearly 70 years by the sounds of it. How, how do you view the last few years and the change that's happened? And also the last couple of weeks as well. It hasn't exactly been straightforward, has it? Well, I mean, the last... I mean, to be honest, I've had season tickets. Since the Wimbledon... You know, Gaza against Wimbledon, I can't remember what year it was. But I've had season tickets ever since. And, you know, over the last few years, we used to have, like, six season tickets, and I could never get anybody to come. You know, I'd be ringing up on a Friday, trying to get people to come to the match. And I was even driving home to Stocksfield after the match, thinking, 
oh, that, I've had enough of this, I've had enough. So anyway, I kept on, I kept on, because every time I nearly give up my season ticket, I used to think, you know, what will happen? I'll give up my season ticket and we'll win something. So I didn't give up my season ticket. And we got to Wembley last year and it was brilliant. And I, <laughs> I remember talking to Alan, Alan Shearer was in the same sort of VIP lounge we were in. And, you know, he was all like, great, great. He's like dead excited. And he, and after the match, I said, hey, Alan, I said, uh, that's it for me. I've had enough. And he said, no, no, you've got to come back next year. You've got to come back next year. We'll be back next year. And I said, so right for you, you've only been once as a spectator. It's just my sixth time I watched them lose. <laughs> One of the special things about what's happened, um, something that I'd like you to talk about, and you've always known everybody in the city and far beyond. So you've had relationships with, with, uh, with the people at the club, and you know, much, much wider than that in politics and all the rest of it. But there's been a proper effort from this Newcastle to reach out to other institutions in the city and to become a good citizen of Newcastle. There was a partnership with Great Run and the Newcastle for the for the 10K. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you found that and how pleased you are that at least Newcastle are doing that these days? Well, I, th- I think, the, I think the, the Newcastle United takeover and the Newcastle United setup now linked with the Newcastle United Foundation has been terrific. I mean, we had a season which, to be frank, we probably would rather have had Last season, just merge, you know, like just keep going. Because when you're coming back from the bottom and you leap up into where they leapt up into last year, then that that feeling of we used to be awful, now we're pretty good. That was wonderful. That's that's sport. You know, if you think about sport, everyone who takes part in sport in any shape or form has times when it's not very good, doesn't go very well. And sometimes that's years. In Newcastle's case, it's been a lot of years. But in individual sports people's cases, it, it takes up time. But then when you come out of that trough into the into the sort of lower, the, the, you know, the the lower reaches of the mountaintop, which is where Newcastle United are kind of appearing, that's really exciting. That's great. And then the club to be as committed to the organisation of the thing and to be as keen as they are to be uh, citizens of the of this. Big town, as we think about it, but small town, as lots of other people think about it, is wonderful. And their attitude is great, and their feelings are great, and the fans are um, having a great time, and the region's having a good time with it. It's congratulations to them, really. They've done a, and if you meet them individually they're, they're, and, and jointly, the guys that are involved running the club on a day to day basis are really um, committed to the project. They're really sharp guys. They know what they're doing. They're impressive. Well, and I, I don't want to embarrass you, but when the takeover happened and I spoke to people at the top of the club, the one thing I said was that if they want to know about sporting excellence in in the in this region, it's not football. It's you've got to speak to Brendan, you've got to speak to Great Run because they, they know all about it. And it's just very pleasing, I think, from you know, you know, to know that they're doing that and that they want to learn and that they want to sort of understand. So anyway, we've taken up too much of your time. I do want to say, though, thank you very much indeed. Again, you're a total legend. As I say, the the reason that, that Jacob and I will be um, sweating and, in my case, crying around the course this weekend is because of you. And uh, we love you. We love you to bits. So thank you so much for coming on in this week of all weeks. Thanks very much indeed. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there we go, Brendan Foster, George, what an absolute legend. Well, that is the word. That is the word. He's a legend in how many... I mean, it'd be nice to be a legend once and for one thing. He's a legend for about 95 things. That's it, absolutely. And he was a, he, he didn't talk about it. He was a really good footballer as a kid as well. Was he? Yeah, and dreamt, dreamt the dream that we all um, that we all had. But um, yeah, he, he knows people at the club now. He he knew Mike Ashley, you know, not in a particularly friendly sense, but um, but he's such a connected man. And as I said, I mean, he's played such a role in in the northeast in so many in so many guises. And you know, the Great North Run. What a legacy to have! What a legacy. Just going to have to mention something which uh, we didn't manage to catch in the interview, but which kind of just shows his humility. Um, where. I asked him for a bit of advice for a race I've got later this evening, and he said, "Oh, don't worry about that. I'm sure George will be able to offer you way more advice." And I was thinking, "Yeah, your five k times thirteen minutes flat." Yeah. So, it, yeah, I'm looking forward to George sitting me down on his knee post recording to pass on all the yeah, big tips. big athlete, big athlete. Same with me. I can yeah, I can guide you in that in that way as I can in so many others in the ways of life. Right, let's stop this absolute nonsense uh, and carry on. Uh, Stoke City coming to Kingston Park to face Newcastle United women on Saturday for a 2pm kickoff. Uh, but a cracking result on Sunday. Started their league campaign with a 4-0 win at AFC Fylde. New signings hitting the ground running with a brace for striker Bridget Galloway and a goal for captain Amber Keegan-Stobbs. Georgia Gibson got the fourth in injury time. Amber Keegan-Stobbs, really important to that team at the minute, isn't she, Jacob? Yep, and I'm going to officially call her a friend of a podcast after her appearance a couple of weeks ago let's do that um so yeah just locking that in um and she was absolutely lovely there and you could see the passion which she has for the club uh, just in case anyone didn't catch that she's literally named keegan after kevin keegan um he's been named captain for the new season and was sensational against filed as the first league match of the season really encouraging start there's lots of ambitions also lots of flux in terms of new signings the women's team seem to have adapted to it better than the men's so far um but yeah will be nice to see their first home league game, Stoke City, and hopefully the lasses can keep it going. Yeah, should be a good one. And also an international break for the men as well. Uh, and a bit of a timeout for the fans, I think, some of whom need it. They're getting a bit mardy at the minute. Our uh, producer, Ollie, put out a little poll on Twitter, uh, recording our only show of the week later today. How's your mood going into the international break? 26.5% said tough games, no drama. Uh, 64.2% said disappointed but coping. 8.4% are on full meltdown. Full meltdown. I thought this was a breakdown of George's normal mood, but he was 64.2% <laughs> disappointed, 9% full meltdown. <laughs> I have to, we have to criticise. We really have to criticise Ollie as well and also apologise to Toon Poles because he didn't include Toon Poles in 
a Newcastle pull, which, as we know, is not allowed. So That's a yellow card, Ollie. That is a yellow card, Ollie. Um, Toon pulls, we do apologise. Uh, no, normal service will be provided. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of... I think that's 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 a good response. I think that's the sort of response that we'd want at this point. It has been disappointing. They have had very difficult games. But, yeah, let's look forward to them getting better. Absolutely. And uh, just before we go, here's a little email from listener Paul Robinson, which isn't untypical of the sort of things that fans have been saying. Hi, lads. Love the show. Uh, we should just leave it there, shall we? No, we've got to do the rest of the email. Um, just a quick question. Do you think spending £70 million on two fullbacks who barely play was a mistake when we are crying out for a proper number six and have been for at least a year? Makes a point, doesn't he? Did the, did the first 11 need more than a couple of fullbacks? Well, so that's a great. It is a great question, and it was it was again something that I asked in the inside the transfer window piece that I did. You know, Newcastle have shown flexibility in all, every single transfer window so far, and obviously they had to strengthen the squad. The squad was not big enough, deep enough, didn't have enough quality. I think the theory with the two fullbacks is that that was one area where there was a bigger drop off than there were in other areas of the pitch, but. Yeah, I mean, they needed a right-sided centre-half. We know that. Eddie Howe did go into the summer wanting two midfield players and and didn't get them. So should they have spent a bigger chunk of that money on people who can go who would go straight into the first team and strengthen the and strengthen the first team but then the squad as a whole wouldn't be a huge amount stronger or do they do what they did? Now, they also think that with uh, both fullbacks Hall and Livermento, that they've protected the club for years to come. And you know we shouldn't forget it isn't just about this season; it's about the next few years to come. So I mean they're very happy with that. They think they've got two outstanding players who will be fundamental to the team for years to come. But I agree. When I mean I'm, I'm sure I said it on the podcast. I couldn't really make the Livermento thing make sense in my own head when they've got. Such an outstanding right back already there in Kieran Trippier. Yeah, we know he can't go on forever, but he was in the PFA team of the season for last season. Livermento isn't going to get in straight away. Lewis Hall's not at full match sharpness. Should they have spent that money on the first team? I think it's a great question. I just don't think we know the, I don't think we can know the answer, uh, yet. Anyway, this was something that exercised, uh, Chris, wasn't it? After the, uh, after the match. Yeah, um, Chris, even though he's not here and not present on this podcast, he couldn't help sticking his neb in and putting his uh, two pence worth in. Well, after two undoubtedly successful transfer windows under the new ownership, there's been much debate about Newcastle's transfer business, certainly during the summer and to a certain degree also with what happened in January. Now, everything I'm about to say needs to be prefaced by the fact that FFP has had a huge effect on what Newcastle can do and so they can't do everything they want to do and weren't able to do that in January as well which is why Anthony Gordon was the only player who arrived but you look at the business Newcastle did over the summer and people are now debating whether or not they've actually addressed the issues that they needed or the positions they needed to strengthen and did they actually sign these starters beyond Sandro Tonali I mean I'd argue yes that they did that Harvey Barnes may over time become a regular starter. You may see Anthony Gordon move out to the right and Harvey Barnes be the starting left winger. I think that there's a decent chance that will happen. Then Lewis Hall also, yes, he may only be 18, but he is a left back. 
that is strengthening in one of the positions they needed to strengthen. And even though he's one for the future, I do think that he will get plenty of minutes this season. The Liveramento one is slightly more surprising, but really Q and Trippier is such a pivotal part of that side that they wanted to make sure they do have adequate cover there, a type of player they like who can really influence a game and attack rather than someone like Emil Kraft or Javier Manquillo who, who are decent but are, are not on the same sort of level. The lack of a number six and a centre-back being signed are surprising, particularly given the conversations that happened in April and May when it was clear they were the priorities. But basically, the market wasn't conducive to that. That isn't an excuse for Newcastle, but you just have to look at the price of uh, of Lavia and Caicedo in particular, who went for holding midfielders this summer, or someone like Guardiol, who went to Man City. These are very, very expensive players. Those are the positions Newcastle were looking to strengthen in, and there basically wasn't value that they could spend the money on to get, and so instead they've waited to, to resolve that. And I, I would back that, rather than signing a player you don't fully believe in. I think longer term, Newcastle have to think about how they can get to the top and then sustain it. The problem has been that in the last few matches, the balance of the team hasn't looked quite right, either in midfield or across the front line. The defence appears all at sea compared to the heights of last season, but I do think it's far too early to basically condemn the summer transfer windows. Do they have a, a squad now which is capable of competing in the Champions League in all fronts? I still think they're a little bit short on that, but I do think the squad is actually stronger than last season. Well, this has really, really, really irritated me, I have to say. Why, why are we indulging? Why are we indulging, Chris? <laughs> He's he's either off or he's not off. Yeah. Why nobody wants to hear that opinion. Nobody wants to hear that. Chris, Chris, you've been on paternity leave for a year, probably longer. If you want to come back and do some work, come back and do some work. Don't just like fire off five minute voice notes that no one gives a shit about. So you know, if you want to come on the podcast, come on the podcast. If you want to do some work, do some fucking work. If you'd like to go to Brighton. That would make a nice change, wouldn't it? Because it's always me and fucking Brighton. It's always me having to... It's not going to happen, is it? That is really... I'm more angry about that than I am about the performance on Saturday. That is really pissed me off. I've always valued your composure, George. Yeah, absolutely. Can't help yourself, Chris, can he? Cannot help himself. Got to be involved somewhere down the line. Come and do some work. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of dissertation. I think my university dissertation was shorter than that voice note. Are you all right, George? Do you need us to call somebody for you? Or are you okay? I'm just really irritated now. <laughs> anyway, right then. Uh, if you want to check this out as well, there's an excellent article uh, on The Athletic about who won the transfer window, according to The Athletic's uh, staff writers. Uh, there's a lovely quote on there from Sarah Shepard, who uh, who thinks Newcastle might have nabbed one of the signings of the summer in Sandro Tonali and uh, the young talent that they brought in in Lewis Hall and Tino Livramento and uh, obviously Harvey Barnes as well. Um, if I can just interrupt there, Taylor, she doesn't even actually mention Yankuba Minter, who uh, was signed and scored an absolutely sensational goal for Feyenoord this weekend, if you've seen it. I Did mean, you see the goal? It is so cheeky. He goes around the goalkeeper, dummies the keeper, and then a, a defender's coming back to cover and he just sort of dummies the defender for the hell of it, yeah. makes him fall over on his arse and then just slides it in. I mean, if you want to see a display of composure at complete odds with what George has just shown us now. <laughs> Pull that up on YouTube um, because that could be an exciting one for the future. I, I, and I am only joking. I love Chris and I'm delighted for his contribution. And it's I think there is, I think we do have to say it is quite important. One thing that Eddie Howe said on Friday was that you only know how good a transfer, tra- transfer window has been over time. And so, yeah, of course, you can see the signings, but it's like, you know, Livramento hasn't played, Hall hasn't played, Barnes hasn't started a match. So if and when they start 
games. We'll see. And yeah, in in a month's time, in two months' time, we might see something different, particularly if those players start playing games when the demands of the extra matches kick in. Things didn't feel great on Saturday night, but I think we have to let things bed in and we have to see, you know, the strategy is about protecting Newcastle this season when there are more games. It's also about protecting Newcastle for the year's ahead too. Just to echo that, I mean, we've given it three days since the end of the transfer window, which is a length of time shorter than Chris's voice notes. So we really should give a bit longer. That's a fair point. Absolutely. Uh, just one show this week. Same story next week as well. We'll be with you probably Monday or Tuesday, but we're not committing to a specific deadline just yet as journalists' legs are at risk this weekend. But do get in touch. We're all on Twitter, at Taylor and Payne for myself, at Chris D.H. Woff uh, for Captain Waffles, at George Colkin, of course, uh, and at Whitey 98 as is the show at Pod on the Time. If you're not on Twitter, you can email us uh, on Pod on the Time at theathletic.com. Uh, that's it for this week. Thank you very much. What a lovely guest uh, Sir Brendan Foster was. That was a wonderful chat, George. Love that. Yeah, he's uh, he's a brilliant man, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see the whole region coming together this weekend for this incredible event. Look forward to seeing you, Taylor. Hopefully, hopefully, be able to spy you through my weeping, my weeping nipples, and my weeping and my weeping eyes. Just wear tapes, man. Something I need to think about. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I wore I wore plasters over them last year. Well, thanks, George, for that beautiful mental image, uh, and good luck for this weekend, uh, and good luck to you as well, Jacob Whitehead. As well, is this your first Great North Run? Have you done it before? My first Great North Run. Well, enjoy it's it. Life changing. It's a wonderful experience. And just to say as well, I'm sure that we'll be sharing on Twitter links to our fundraising page where we're doing stuff for yeah. the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. Um, George has been absolutely brilliant at organising this and pulling together Bobby's team. Um, and so, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, no time's tough at the moment, but obviously appreciate anything you can give because it's a wonderful cause. What I'll say, Jacob, as well is that very last bit when you come down the hill at Marsden, past the Marsden Inn, and you turn onto the front, just enjoy that the best you can because your body will be screaming at you. And you'll be screaming at me as well. I will be as well, yeah, probably. Uh, there'll be people lying in the road for you and they'll be clapping and cheering you on. So try and enjoy that last uh, that last mile down the seafront because it is a beautiful, a beautiful place that you're going to. Uh, right then, that's it. Thanks a lot, chaps. Good luck to you too for this weekend. Uh, that's everything from Pod and the Time this week. Take care of yourselves and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. And they are sprinting as Foster goes into the bend and they are now not halfway down the back straight. Foster, the man who has led from gun to tape. Foster, the man now who comes home in 13 minutes, 16, 17. That was devastating. Aggressive, full of self-belief. He took them on from the start, showed he was absolutely right. And show too that you've got enough class. The heat and the humidity make little difference. The Athletic.